we're so glad that you are here with us today and are able to worship with us during this time of Christmas as we, as we begin to look, and it's not just during this season, but it's every, every day actually. We think, we think about what God did for us. We think about the sacrifice ultimately. We know the sacrifice is there on Easter when God sent His Son Jesus to this earth. We know born of a virgin. We celebrate His birth on Christmas. We celebrate that amazing act of grace that God showed you and I as His people. Undeserving, for sure. We don't deserve that love. We don't deserve that grace. But God did the most amazing thing for us. He sent you and I hope. We have hope. We sit here this morning with hope. Not that we can do anything to... uh, we, we can't do anything apart from it. If you got your Bibles this morning, I want to go in and tell you, we're reading a lot this morning. I'm going to read quite a bit, but I want you to see the whole story. I want to be able to sort of paint a picture for you. This past Wednesday night, we uh, looked at some of this. We asked the question, but why? You know, as, as parents, our kids ask that question all the time. Why? 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 And, and because I said so, and cause, and just cause, and because I'm the daddy, and I'm the parent, and all that stuff, none of that matters. You constantly get why, but why, but why. You know, in, in Scripture, I don't think it's a bad thing to ask why. I think it's okay, and, and God, is, God is big enough, and He could handle our whys. When we read Scripture, when we read God's Word, and, and we're trying to, trying to put it all together, and we don't completely understand it, it's okay for us to look at it and say why. This morning's first verse, go with me, you're there in Luke, Luke chapter 2, part of the Christmas story, begs the question why. Why? Why do I need a Savior the angels have come to the shepherds and they're pronouncing good news to all men. Scripture tells us in verse 8, Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this, In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel of said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the King. Christ Jesus the King. A Savior. Why do we need a Savior? It begs the question, why do we need saving? Even even when the angel came to Joseph over in Matthew. Look at Matthew. Chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, the angels, we know he comes to Mary, we know he comes to Joseph, we know he speaks to the shepherds out in the fields, and here with Joseph he says this in verse 21 of Matthew 1, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You know, most people in the world, they, they're like, what is the problem? What is the sins? I don't, I don't need this Jesus. I don't need saving. I don't have a problem. But this morning, what I want you to see, and there's a reason for Christmas. One of the songs, one of the lines in one of those songs said, Christmas, we see God's love. God's love is Christmas. God's, God loved us and He gave us Christmas. God loved you and me. And He gave us a son. He gave us hope. I want us to pray. Father God, speak to us this morning. Speak to our hearts. God, it's it's easy to come and 
God, sit through another Christmas story. Sit through another Christmas message. God, most of us, we all know these stories. The majority of us in this room, we've sat through how many Christmases, Lord? How many, how many seasons? How many all the sermons that build up to Christmas? Lord, we've, we've heard it. We know it. We know about the, the wise men. We know about how they traveled. We know about the gifts. We know about the, the baby and the manger and no room in the inn. We know all of that. But Lord, why? Why do we have all that? What was the need? Why did, why did this have to happen? Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. God, speak to our hearts and let us see. God, give us a bigger picture. God, let us, let us be able to put it all together, God. You, you are so good. There's hope. Now there's hope. Now there's hope, God. And I praise you for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Go with me all the way back over to Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we read verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We all know that verse. Science may tell us one thing, the world may tell us one thing, but the Bible clearly says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And get over in chapter 2, beginning in verse 7, Scripture says this, The Lord God formed man of the dust, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils and breathed the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of, the, out of the ground the Lord God calls to grow every tree that is pleasing to the side that is good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So the Bible tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The rest of chapter 1 tells us how it happened, how long it happened, tells us the sequence of ways it happens. Chapter 2, we learn that God put a, put a man. He, he breathed life into a man. From the dust of the earth, He formed man. And He put him there in this perfect place. Over in chapter 3, God comes walking along in the cool of the day. God walked with man. They had relationship. There was a closeness. There was an intimacy that God and man had. And it, we don't know how long, but He just had it for a long time. Get over to chapter 2. Verse 15 says this, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. There's one stipulation. You can't mess with that tree. You can't eat from that fruit. That's the rule. Going on, verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God called, God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. How does animals get their names? Adam named them. How do you know that, preacher? The Bible says it. The man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So here God creates 
this beautiful place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He creates this beautiful garden, and He puts man in the garden, and it wasn't good for man to be alone, and God walked with man in the cool of the day, and God saw that, yes, animals and cattle and beasts of the field, that doesn't, doesn't satisfy the man, so He gave him woman. You read on, and Adam sees her, and he's like, whoa, man. Then things happen. You don't know how long before things happen, but things happen. I always, in sharing the gospel, in sharing the gospel, you got to go here. In seeing the big picture, you got to go here. You got to go to the fall. You got to go to the very beginning. See, people, you say, the angels to the shepherds, they say this. She'll give a birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in spot in the same regions. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior. Why do we need saving? Saving from what? Over talking to Joseph, why do we need our sins forgiven? What is the issue? We find the issue in Genesis chapter 3. Up until this point, God's created. He's put him there, he's walking with man, and then the serpent comes. Then it happens, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Satan brings doubt. Satan enters into the equation, an opportunity to do something other than what God has commanded. God said, I don't, and I'm just not. God said, do it this way, and I'm just going to do it that way. And here Satan enters into the picture and evil and to him who knows the right thing to do, James 1.17. To him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Sin enters the picture. Why do we need a Savior? Why do we need Jesus? Why do we need hope? Why does the world... Why is this going to be good news of great joy for all people? Because every man, woman, boy, and girl has the fallout from what is occurring right here, and we have it before us to read in God's Word. Don't have to read very far. Isn't it amazing how God, people pick up the Bible and they start reading, and you, you know, a lot of folks, they pick it up and they read for a little bit and then they quit. Isn't it amazing how God put the most important thing there in the very beginning? There's a problem. Mankind, there's a problem. There was a fall. The relationship is over. Because of this that's happening right here. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. God's trying to keep something from you. God's trying to pull something over you. You can't trust God. There's a better way. So many questions come up, and notice what happens. When the woman, verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight of the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? And he Have you eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? And here we go, the man blames the woman, and the woman blames the serpent, and then it starts. There was a relationship that God had with man. Why do we need a Savior? Why do we need this Jesus? Why do we need Christmas? Why do we need hope? Some of you may say in the world says that, hey, that's not my problem, that's not my story, that's not my issue, but it is. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one person that is exempt from this conversation. There's not one person. See, in the beginning, God and man walked with each other. In the cool of the day, it says God came walking along. Adam! Hey, Adam! And Adam's done sin and he's off. Hiding. And there's consequences to that sin. Keep reading. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. Verse 14, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And told you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And notice in the next few verses, every time I seem to read Scripture, God shows me something. It's not like it's brand new. It's not like it's all hadn't always been there. It's like, it's like He just shows me a different angle. God is, God is infinitely perfect with no, no error, period, of every shifting uh, way He moves. God is infinitely perfect. Imagine the most amazing, beautiful diamond. No matter how you look at it, from what angle you look at it, it is, inf- it is perfect. God is infinitely perfect. And God shows grace here in this next verse. Many years ago, you know, you always think about the curse. You always think about how they had rebelled against God. And imagine if God had not have gone to these next few verses, how messed up we would have been. Verse 22, Then the the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. One of us? One of us? You see the plurality. You see the threeness and oneness. You see the trinity there in the garden. You see it early on. Man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God, notice how it changes. It's an interesting thought. I don't know. I may be reading into it. I usually read too much into it. But notice how this happens. At first God sends him out. Notice, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. 
Adam, you're gone. You've sinned, you've disobeyed. And I can imagine he pitched a fit. I can imagine he didn't want to go quietly. I can imagine he wanted to rebel even further. So God had to do the next verse. So God drove him out. Adam, you're gone. Then he drives him out. So he drove the man out and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim with a flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. That's where man stands. Man who used to walk with God, every person used to have a relationship with God because of the sin that entered into the garden. Because of the sin that entered into the equation, man was not just sent out, but was driven out. And the angels with the fiery swords were, were, were stationed there to keep man from never being able to be brought back into God's presence. What if God had left us there? You know, if the story ended right there, we would have no hope. If the story ended right there, you say, well, why in the world did Jesus come? Because there had to be, some, there had to be the rest of the story. There had to be something else. There had to be, there had to be something more. Or we'd be hopeless, y'all. Guys, if there wasn't Christmas, if, if God didn't love us so much to send His only begotten Son into the world, you and I would be desperately separated eternally away from God. Forever. And you know what? We deserve it. We deserve it. Think about how sinful we are. Think about it. God, I, I think about Isaiah 6, and Isaiah sees God high and lifted up in and, and His holy throne there. He's, he's majestic and He's worthy of all the praise. The cherubim and seraphim are, are around the throne day and night saying, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of Your glory. So there we see God. And you know what Isaiah doesn't tell us? He doesn't tell us that that ends. So God is a jealous God. God is a God who wants our praise. He wants our attention. He wants us completely. And here's the thing. We rob Him of His glory. We rob Him of His attention. We rob Him of what is rightfully due Him. I'm an Auburn fan. War Eagle. And I watched a lot of that game last night. And you know, I didn't say roll tide once. I watched the first half, and I'm sitting there saying foot. Scoundrels. I'm calling them every aggravating name I can call them. I cut it off. But you know what? For an hour and a half, I did not do. I didn't praise God one bit. You know what I didn't even do for an hour and a half? I didn't even think about God. Didn't even think about Him. I'm like, why? Why is this silly team going to keep on winning? All the while, the throne of God is surrounded by the angels, giving Him the praise He's rightfully due. And there I stand. And there you stand. Focus nowhere on God. And I'm not talking about just the three hours of last night. What about the few hours before that? Or the hours and hours and days and weeks and months and all. and We get our meal. God is great. God is good. Let's thank you for this food. Jesus' name pray. Amen. God is good. God is sweet. Thank you for this food we eat. 
Pick your quick little go-to. Isaiah 6 doesn't end, guys. God is worthy of our praise. What in the world, where in the world would we be if it had not have been for Him interceding? You say, well, I... You say, well, preacher, that's not my problem. That's Adam and Eve's issue. No, it's our problem. Go with me over to... Um, look at Romans. Look at Romans chapter 5. As you turn in there, even Jesus said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. Got to be. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was like, that wasn't my question. And Jesus come back to him and said, Jesus answered, Truly, and truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you... You hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Guys, you've got to be born again. So here Jesus is saying you've got to be born again. What do you mean you've got to be born again? You've got to trust by faith. You've got to put your trust in your faith in Jesus. You've got to have your sins forgiven. You've got to have, you've got to be brought back. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, Therefore justice through one man's sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. We know Adam lived, but he ultimately died. We know that, that the death God is talking about there is spiritual death. For unto the law, verse 13, For until the law... Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned over Adam until Moses. Even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is in the type of him who was to come. Just because you are not sinning by eating an apple. So many people will argue, hey, I didn't do what he did. I didn't do anything wrong. Listen, his failure covers us all. His rebellion taints us all. His, the consequence of that one disobedient act, we all share. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more... Did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many? See, the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from the many transgressions resulting in justification. What Christ suffered on the cross paid the debt completely. The punishment that each one of us deserved. One man sinned, we all sinned. 
Christ died so that we could all be forgiven. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How is a person brought back into a relationship with God? They are brought back through peace through Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way. Here we are at Christmas. Here we are at the time of year that we celebrate when God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Look down at verse 6. Look at Romans 5, 6. For, for while we were helpless, we couldn't do this on our own. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't wipe out our sin. We couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't stop being disobedient. God did for us what only God could do while we were still helpless at the right time Christ died for us. Look at this. I love this section. I love this section. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrated His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Here we stand on Christmas. Here we are during Christmas. We sing and we, we, we doll the place up and we make it look all ornate. And, but guys, it's ultimately for one purpose. It's, it's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And man who has been pushed far, far away because of its, his rebellion can now be brought back into a relationship with God by simply trusting in Christ. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Knowing None whatsoever, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. God did. The law, the law well, you couldn't hold up enough laws, you couldn't be good enough, you couldn't do enough right things. God had to intercede. And God sent His Son Jesus, born in this in ways that we would find so inhumane, so unjust, so pitiful. God sent His Son Jesus to this earth so that every single one of us could have a relationship, could be brought back. I ain't asked this in a while. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And here's what I mean. God gave me this example earlier. I used it. I'll use it now. Some of you say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. How's your walk? How's your walk? How's your relationship with the Lord? This is the example. That does not make me a musician. 
But you know what I could easily say? You know what? I stood in front of a crowd one Sunday and I, I stood on stage in front of everybody and I played the guitar. I don't like the guitar. 20 years ago, my New Year's resolution, 20 years ago, I was at a church, 20 years ago my New Year's resolution was to be a guitar player. I own like five guitars. I don't even like the thing. They hurt my fingers. They don't sound like he makes them sound. I don't like the guitar. But I played it in front of the church one Sunday morning. There's a lot of people, that's what their Christian journey is. I walked up one Sunday, preacher, and you're asking me, am I a Christian? I walked up one Sunday morning and I, I repeated the prayer. I said what everybody else was saying. I ain't done nothing with it since. <laughs> Could care less about the holiness of the Lord. Could care less about the standard of holiness. Could care less. You ask me, am I a Christian? Yeah, 20 years ago I stood up in front of a crowd and I repeated the prayer. That's not salvation. You hear me? And I apologize to every single one of you who somewhere in the past heard somebody say, look, if you'll just repeat this prayer, if you will just say these words, if you will just say these words, you'll be good. Look, if you'll just walk up here and play this instrument, you're, you're, a, you're an artist. That's not salvation. There's a lot of people sitting in churches just like this. When they're asked the question, are you a Christian and how's your walk? How's your relationship with the Lord? You're at a total loss. And for many, all they can think back to is five years ago, eight years ago, 20 years ago, 38 years ago. I was in a church just like that and I went up in front of everybody else and I went through the motions. I did all I needed to do. It's not salvation. Salvation is every single day of our life we know there is a holy, righteous God. And there is a holy standard. And we see our lives as an open book spread out of before an infinitely omniscient God. Who knows every secret thing and every, every public thing. He knows everything. And we stand there with one fault. God... I am so unworthy. God, I see the angels giving you the praise in Isaiah, and I am so distracted. I see you being a jealous God in Scripture, and Lord, I don't give you what is rightfully yours. God, forgive me.
Salvation is a walk. Salvation is a relationship. Salvation is more than a, an event, more than a moment in time, more than a meeting that takes place and is only referenced occasionally. There's hope. There's hope for every person. Hope for every person. My prayer is that you know Jesus. My prayer is that every person in this room has a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. We confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart. We believe that Christ is exactly who He says He is. Guys, we're not believing, we're not putting our trust in, in anything else. We're not, we're not gambling and betting on the fact that, hey, that's a man-written book and this is an old religion and that's just a paid spokesman for some brainwashed old story. There's hope. Father God, I pray that there's not a person in this room that's lost. I pray, God, that there's not a person in this room that's never trusted you as their Lord and Savior. But God, I know that if there is one, God, if they've never, if they've never repented of their sins, if they've never asked you to come into their life and be their Lord, if they've never placed their trust and their faith in you, God, they are lost. They are still where, where you sent Adam, where you drove Adam. They are far, far. They are, there's no coming back into that relationship. There's no other way. We can't, you don't jump over the fence. You don't get back in. There is only one way, and it is through Christ. Jesus, you said yourself you're the way, the truth, and the life. That no man is going to come to the Father except through you. And God, I pray that every person in this room, every person here has put their trust in only you. And daily, it's only you. And every moment, it's only you. God, if there's one. Holy Spirit, right now, Lord, even now. God, not that they're going to strum today. But God, that they're going to start a relationship today. I pray, God, that they would just simply, with childlike faith, say, Lord, save me. Lord, I need a Savior. Forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Take over my life. I give you everything. I give you my family, my home, my future. My, I give you everything that I am. You are my Savior. You are my hope. I live for you. I trust you with all of my heart. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now there's hope. Praise God, Lord. Now there's hope. We don't have to say there's, that you're a bad God. No, you're a good God. We don't have to say that you did us unfair. No, you are so just. Because God, you gave us this day. You gave us this day, Lord, to come and to sit quietly in your presence and to see ourselves in light of Christ. 
God, we love you. We love you. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want us to all stand this morning as we sing a hymn of invitation. Guys, you know where you stand. You know who you are. I pray, God, I pray that... Here's what, I, here's what I say before we even sing this song. There are many in this room. I'd say most in this room. The vast majority of you in this room are Christians already. And you know how many sermons have you set through? How many hymn of invitations have you set through? And you've gone through and you get to the point. Guys, this is when the church becomes the army. This is when the church becomes those soldiers. And you just you, you sing, but your spirit is praying, God, and you're interceding on behalf of maybe just one. Because here's the deal. There may just be a big crowd. There may be one of you who does not, has never you know what you relate to? You relate to, hey, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I was in youth camp, I was in kids camp, I was in GAs, RAs, I just went up there. All I did is I went through the motions. It didn't stick, it wasn't real, it was what everybody else was doing. It was just the cool thing. Everybody else was getting baptized, everybody else was doing it, so I just did it too. But it wasn't real, it didn't stick. You know you. You know you as we sing.